Could you imagine the conversation leading up to, hey, what are we going to name our baby? I mean, I know the angel told her, you got to name it this, right? But when I had my first child, I, I realized that, um, like, there was a lot of pressure in naming your child. Anybody else here wrestle over naming your child? Like, what do you name your kid, right? And like, well, there should be like a family namesake. Thank you. There should be like a family namesake involved, right? So when we were pregnant, we're thinking, well, is it a, is it a boy or is it a girl? And, and so we eventually realized it was a girl, and we thought, okay, this is great. So now we can, we can name her. But what do we do? Do we, do we do something creative? Like, do we do something unique? Do we, like, do family names, right? There's a whole list of family names. Well, and then we thought, well, wait a minute, but if you list out all the family names, there's about a dozen or 15 or, I don't know, maybe even 20 or more. And so which, which aunts and which sisters get left out of this process? You know what I'm saying? Like, like am I gonna, and then how many daughters am I going to have? Because if I'm going to have eight daughters, well, then I can divide it up evenly and we can make the whole namesake thing work out. Amber said no to that plan. But if you have sons or daughters, you're like, well, I plan on naming this daughter with this half of the family and this daughter with this half of the family. How's it going to work out? What about Auntie Lizzie? Because her name's not represented and and my kids' names, does she feel left out? Definitely, right? And and so how do you you do this? And so we made the list of names and and we found the perfect solution. You see, my firstborn, her, her middle name represents both sides of the family. After much agonizing and, and research, and you see, both my mother and mother-in-law are here with me this morning. <laughs> and one has a middle name of, of Lee, and the other has a middle name of, of Anne. And so we, we made our firstborn's middle name Leanne. <laughs> Woo! Skating on thin ice, and I made it. After that, we're home free. When you're naming your child, you've got to run it through a few filters, too. You know, if any, any girl I've ever dated in my past, of course, that name is off the list. Any, any, any boy that, that my wife had ever dated or been interested in. But then you also know of that, that kid in middle school who's an absolute jerk to you. Yeah, that name's off the list. But then you've got to run it through the middle school filter, too, of like, how can this be twisted and abused and turned into something, you know, like, what if I name her Ophelia? What's going to happen in middle school? I don't know. Maybe nothing, right? But there's like, you start playing the name out, and you're like, man, this could really, like, how could you manipulate this into picking on somebody? And then who was the person that named their kid Bob Dylan, not knowing that Bob Dylan was going to be famous, right? Like, and then you go, oh, you're, you're the Bob Dylan? Yeah, I'm the real Bob Dylan. No, he, I'm, then it gets awkward. You know, all the pressure of naming a child. It just seems so unrealistic, isn't it? Looking at this other person who had named their child Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. You know, they were checking off all the boxes with that one, right? I know a Charles, I got a Philip over here, I've got an Arthur, I got a George, and and a Windsor. They just called him Prince Charles for short. It seems like the, the longer the name is, though, the more royalty that's involved. Which is why I think that God and Jesus had so many names. Because he was that important. All through the Old Testament, you see so many names that they, they used for God. But, but then you started seeing the prophecies of Jesus coming, and there was name after name after name that seemed to be coming forth for this. We're going to look at one verse 
because that's all I can handle in this short message this morning. We have kids here and the promise of fire. (laughs) Merry Christmas. There's really no better way to celebrate anything, really, than fire. I think we should do candlelight on Thanksgiving and New Year's and Valentine's Day, everything, really. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, For for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hi, Wonderful God, Mighty God. uh, Yeah, hello. Like, my name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can just call me Jesus for short. You know, like, like there is this long, long, long list of, of names that, that, that are there. But there are so many names. And so I want to look at just these four. And so name number one is this, is Wonderful Counselor. He was called Wonderful Counselor. Man, I got to tell you, Wonderful Counselor is a good thing. Finding good, solid, amazing, beautiful counsel is so difficult to find in this world. We seek counsel all the time in our decisions, don't we? from our friends and and from our family. And some of it's really good. And some of it's absolutely terrible. You know know the guy that's always struggling with financial issues in their own life? They give their financial counsel pretty freely, don't they? Hopefully they're telling you what not to do rather than this is how you should do it. Wonderful counselor. See, this title speaks of a, there's wisdom of this plan. The word wonderful means astonishing or extraordinary. The writers of the Old Testament used it for acts of God, which man cannot understand. The word counselor means advisor or ideal ruler. So first, this means he is a reliable counselor. Those who have come to him will never be led astray. People go to many different types of people for advice. Columnists in the newspaper, they write in, don't they? For the young people, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You DM somebody on Instagram. Or Insta, I don't know. Can you snap them direct now? I'm, yeah, you know, for some advice. They reach out to their friends and family. Some people actually pay big money for advice. They, they, they go to, you know, maybe a, a psychiatrist who charges really high hourly rates. Or, or maybe they, they hire a professional business coach to help them in, in business-type decisions. Or maybe they have a personal mentor that, that they've hired to be able to give them solid advice in, in specific areas. There's entire industries built on giving solid advice to people. But none of them can claim perfection. None of them can claim perfection. Much of it is good, but some of it's not so good. You see, the Lord goes to no one for advice. He is the source of knowledge. He is the source of wisdom. There there is nowhere that he goes. He's the source. In fact, If you're seeking wisdom from a friend, I would hope that that friend is also prayerfully seeking wisdom from above. And you see, the Lord goes to no one for advice, and and when anyone comes to him, he gives them the counsel that they need. He is therefore the perfect teacher and the ultimate counselor. This gives us insight into his working. See, the Bible says that his plans are not our plans. His ways are not our ways. And he will accomplish things beyond human comprehension, and he will do it in ways that we cannot fathom. 
He will do the greatest work ever accomplished, and he will do it successfully. Let me, let me explain it this way. As the wonderful counselor, he gives wholesome direction to his people. Those who follow him will not walk in darkness, but in the blazing light of day. Which is why in a moment when we do this candlelight part of our service in a few minutes, we're carrying this light amongst us and inside of us. And when we leave this place, there's darkness all around the world. And and what we're going to symbolize with a candle in a dark room, we should embody in our person in a dark world. So what child is this? It's a question we've been asking all of this month. He is the wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God. In fact, when you look at, at the words used here, it's actually a military level of term is what it, what it is. The baby born in the manger is not just the son of God, but he is also God the son. All the fullness of God dwells in the Lord Jesus. You see, mighty is the, is the word gibor, which means strong one or the powerful, valiant warrior. There's like a, a warrior aspect to God. Sometimes we look at the paintings of Jesus on the green hillside, very meek with little lambs around him. And, 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 you know, and, and sometimes it's like, yeah, there's a side of God that is that gentle side of God. But there's a side of God that's a mighty warrior. There's a side of God that, that is willing to fight for his people. And he is a mighty warrior. He is a mighty God. He, God took the, hor- the form of human flesh. Now take <clears throat> the first two titles and what do you have? Think about this. As a wonderful counselor, you have he makes wonderful plans. And as a mighty God, he makes those plans work. He makes wonderful plans, but then he makes those plans work. All of his wonderful plans will be carried out with all of God's infinite might. There is in this little baby all the strength of deity and the power of God in this little itty-bitty package. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The third name that we see here is the everlasting father. The everlasting father. The father for eternity. See, I have a father, an earthly father, and, and I'm very aware that at some point he will die. He will leave this earth and go to heaven. And then my, my earthly father won't be with me in body anymore. And likewise, I have kids of my own, and, and one day, hopefully many, many, many decades from now, I also will die, but, but I will also go to heaven, but my kids will be without their earthly father on earth as well. You see, our earthly fathers, as imperfect as they are, because none of them are perfect, they have shortcomings and flaws from time to time. They do the best that they can, just like I do the best I can with my kids. But our, our earthly fathers also have an expiration date. Our heavenly father does not. He is with you every day, all the time, and everywhere. Because he is like a father, he cares for his people. Because he owns eternity, he can give us eternal life. That is so important for those of us who live on this sin-cursed planet. No one lives forever. Sooner or later, we'll also find our own place in the graveyard. We are not immortal, but transitory. We are not here today, but we're gone tomorrow. A dead Christ will do us no good. Dying men need an undying Christ. You see, he's a father forever. He's a father 
forever. So what child is this? He's an everlasting father. And the fourth name in this passage is Prince of Peace. And if the band would come, we're going to sing one more carol. And, and at this time, the ushers are actually going to start getting ready to, for candles. And, and I'll give you specific instructions when we get to the candle lighting section. But the fourth one is this, is Prince of Peace. They call him the Prince of Peace. Peace is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But it's hard to find on this earth. It's worth working for and, and waiting for. See, God's ultimate plan for peace rests not in treaties or lessons or progress or material prosperity. God's plan for peace is in the maker of peace, who is Jesus Christ. Recently, I read that there are more wars raging right now than at any other time in history. Between all the tribal battles in different areas of the country, or the world, between all of these different battles and skirmishes, there, it seems like war and, and discord and fighting is becoming more and more prevalent. When you, when you turn on the TV, it seems like everything is a fight, doesn't it? There's a lack of peace in our political system. There's a lack of peace everywhere that we go. So we serve the source of peace, but yet in our fallen world, we see a lack of peace. You know, not a day goes by, it seems like, at least, that I'm hearing about someone's been murdered in Albuquerque. Not a day goes by that you see the news that somebody, some tragedy happened, but we're almost immune to it because it happens on such a regular basis, as if this is the new normal. We see so much that it no longer surprises us or even bothers us. We've been immune to this because we live in a violent world. You see, in Isaiah 9, 6, it tells us that God's plan for world peace is focused on one person, a baby asleep in a manger in Bethlehem. He is the ultimate man of peace. In the past, his coming made peace with God. In the present, those who come to him find peace in their heart when Christ comes in. And in the future, his second coming will usher in a kingdom of peace. The lack of peace is not an indication of his failure. The lack of peace is an indication of humanity's shortcomings. It shows the need for the Prince of Peace in a world that seems so unpeaceful. See, the methods of Christ are methods of peace. The men of Christ are men of peace. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace. And the principles of Christ are principles of peace. So what child is this? He is the prince of peace. In this one verse, you have four names for Jesus. But this is what they mean to us today. If you are confused, he is a wonderful counselor. If you are weak, he is the mighty God. If you are scared, he is the everlasting father. If you are restless, he is the prince of peace. You know, in 1809, there's a story about a guy who was traveling through this small town and he stopped by at the store and picked up some supplies and he says, anything big happen around here late today, lately? And the, the clerk, he says, he says, no, I can't think of anything. No, you know, uh, yesterday there was a baby born over at the Lincoln cabin. Abraham Lincoln was born on that day, but it didn't seem like a hugely eventful day. 
You didn't know what was going to happen with the birth of that child when the child was born. Just like Mary and Joseph, they had a hint. They had a a vague understanding. Just like the the shepherds who had the angel appear to them or or the wise men that followed a star. They had hints and subtle ideas that something big was going to happen with this baby and in his life. But nobody knew what was going to happen until he accomplished his mission here on earth. I got to say, I I think that the innkeeper who turned them away when they were looking for a place to sleep, I I bet the innkeeper in 20 or 30 years, I don't even know if the innkeeper knew what he was turning away from his inn. Even Mary couldn't fully imagine what it all meant that night. But that baby born in Bethlehem has become the centerpiece of human history. We even divide our calendar by it, the B.C. and the A.D., So what child is this? He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And he's the prince of peace. And I got to say the best part of this verse to me is the very beginning when he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. You see, God gave this to us in the form of a baby. The most important words are for unto us. The gift of Christ is a personal gift from God to us. The gift requires a response, though. Just like many of us today, my kids included, they see some presents wrapped under the tree. They're excited about the presents. They know that the presents are there. They know that it came from me, and they can acknowledge the the goodness of what the present represents. They might open up the present and see the sweater but if they don't receive the present and say, I'm going to wear this from occasionally, if they, if, I don't know if I gave you sweaters, just for the record, but <laughs> there, there are no sweaters under the tree. But, but, you know, if they don't put on the gift, if they don't receive the present, like if they don't take it, then it doesn't do them any good. And the gift of what God has given us through his son Jesus requires a response on your behalf. Will you take it? Will you receive it? Will you wear it? Will it be a gift that you hold with you every day of your life? God has a Christmas present for you. It's not wrapped in a bright paper and a fancy ribbon, but on swaddling clothes, and it's lying in a manger. It is a gift of his son. It is for you. The gift is still there, and it must be personally received. This Christmas holiday will... Will you reconcile something with the Lord? Will you reconcile your response to the gift that he's given you? For many of us, it's like, well, I made that decision a long time ago, but I've just kind of walked away. For some of us, maybe we've made the decision and we seem to come in and out of this idea of having a relationship with God. But I want to encourage everyone here today, will you take the time to seek the Lord out? Maybe in your own quiet time, maybe in your own moment, instead of listening to the radio on your next drive, turn off their music and say, God, I need to get something settled with you. You've given me this gift and I need to receive it. I know you've given it to me, but I still need to receive it. So today I say I receive that gift. Will you reconcile that in your heart during this holiday season? As God, as we give gifts to each other, reconcile the gift that God has given you. I think you'll enjoy Christmas at an even greater level when you can look in the Father's face and tell him that you've received his Christmas gift. So the ushers are going to come and we're going to light some candles. Those battery-powered units for the youngest of us, if they, if they need to flip a switch and not burn anything. 
If you have a middle school boy, maybe they should also have the battery-powered thing. As ushers are coming down, let me, let me, there's a gravitational pull of wax. So the lit candle stays vertical and the unlit candle goes horizontal. So once your candle is lit, because if you go the other way, you may have hot wax on your hand or on the chairs and the carpet. And, and I, I don't want to do that cleaning of the chairs and the carpet. So, so the lit candle stays vertical and the unlit goes horizontal. And they're going to light the aisles and hand them down through, if you will. You know, there's darkness in the world. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Yet in the midst of it, there shines a light, and it is the light of Christ Jesus. It, does not, it is not darkness that gets rid of the dark. It is light that dispels the darkness. And he has come to overcome the darkness in our lives. But that's not all. He asked us to share his light. In fact, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that when they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, let us share the light of Christ with one another. We're going to sing one more carol. The lights are going to come down, and and let's just sing together and, and worship him one last time.
Merry Christmas. Let's go and be the light in the world, the light that the world needs so desperately. We have, um, at the end of the service, we actually have a whole hot cocoa cookie bar extravaganza happening in the lobby. And I want to invite everyone to hang around for a little while, get a little treat, say hi to somebody, hug some necks. God bless you and Merry Christmas.